So today we're talking about hybrid grapes. They've become very popular recently in the media, especially in the Northeast, which is where we live because they're really popular in Vermont. So I want to basically just level set about what they are, what they're not, uh, what type we're talking about when people are talking about hybrid grapes, what some of the common ones are uh, that you might see out there on the, on the backs of wine labels, why they're becoming popular, why we're just now hearing about them. And yeah, other, other opinions we have on them. So um, from the beginning, hybrids are basically grapes that are crossbreeds of two. So probably the most famous example of this is Cabernet Sauvignon. It's a natural cross between Cab Cabernet Franc and Sauvignon Blanc. So it's a red grape, but it's actually like the son of Cabernet Franc and Sauvignon Blanc. And so hybrids can happen naturally, like I just mentioned, or they can also happen in labs, which most of the ones we've been talking about more recently are lab created. And there's another big distinction that I would like to make here, which is that the example I just gave with Cabernet Sauvignon, that is Vitis vinifera grape. Uh, so all the European, all the grapes you can probably name off the top of your head are Vitis vinifera. They are the traditional ones. They're called the noble ones, but that kind of annoys me. So I don't normally use that term. <laughs> Of the noble grapes from Europe. And the there are two other types, or actually I think there's three other types, but the two I know off the top of my head are Vitis Lambrusca and Vitis Riparia. Um, and those are more native, or I believe they're both native to North America, but I might be wrong on that. So the hybrids that most people are talking about today are coming from those two categories. So for the rest of this talk, I'm not going to be, I'm going to just, as I talk about hybrids. I'm going to not be talking about the Cabernet Sauvignons of the world. I'm going to be talking about the ones that are from this other category, Vitis Lambrusca, Vitis Riparia. So more North American focused, less traditional, I guess. Um, and these are the ones that are becoming more popular. That's why we're, or maybe not more popular, but more hyped in the news. So that's why we're going to focus on those. And like I said, they can either be created in a lab, um, or they can be happen by themselves. So there's a good example of this. Oh, and before I get into that, I want to note that this is not like genetically modified foods. Like they're not going into a lab and creating a Frankenstein wine. When they create it in a lab, they are just recreating a natural process that could happen out in the wild, but they decide to do it in the lab instead. So important distinction there. So a good example of this is the Frontenac grape. It's a red hybrid grape um, that was developed at the University of Minnesota. So it was a mix of Vitis, some kind of Vitis Lebrusca, I believe, and another grape that I don't have off the top of my head. So I'm just gonna say another one. So they created that one. And then naturally a uh, Frontenac Gris popped up out of nowhere. So in nature, it basically created a Gris version of itself. There's also a Frontenac Blanc now. All right, so we've covered what these grapes actually are. Um, so now we'll talk about where you can find them. And I think technically you can find them in most places in North America. A lot of places in Europe will also have them. Um, but I'm not going to count just like existence of them in one place as having them. Um, we're going to talk about places where you'd commonly find them. So the places you would commonly find hybrid grapes are basically in cold places. I think that's going to start changing 
and we'll talk about why in a minute um, when we talk about why they're gaining popularity. But that's where they're typically found right now. Like the most popular places that we see them are in northern New York, Vermont, super hot for them right now, and Canada. Canada has been able to come on the wine scene by using some of these grapes. So that's where you typically find them. Interestingly enough, I think that them catching on in Europe, it's not likely going to happen anytime soon. Um, it's because, you know, why would you try and fix something that's not broken? <laughs> like the the cold climates pick these grapes because the Vitis vinifera ones are really difficult to grow. Like you can't really easily grow or probably at all. I haven't heard of any Riesling growing in Vermont. Maybe it does. I have no idea. But they are hardier to be sure because they were created that way. So you're way more likely to see them there because they're necessary versus in France, they can get away with their Vitis vinifera grapes. So why would they go to the non-noble grapes as they would call them? So I think there's actually even a law or, yeah, I guess it's a law. Like um, if you use Vitis, non-Vitis vinifera, so Vitis Labrusca or whatever other ones, grapes in your wine, you can't actually use the appellation in France. You can still call it French table wine, um, but you can't even say like it's from Provence or Languedoc because you literally can't even say the region. So not likely to see it there anytime soon unless things kind of change around that. But again, no one's probably going to fix something that's not broken. So it's not the likely place we're going to see it. Other reasons why I think it's pretty common to see these grapes in North America, obviously, number one, most of these started there. B, we have colder climates, so makes sense that the colder climate places like like also like Michigan or Minnesota, you'd be, uh, you'd be likely to see them. But also, the U.S. and I guess a lot of like the new world of wine, but definitely the U.S. has kind of branded itself since the last few hundred years as like the wild west of wine where anything goes. We're starting to move away from that a little bit. We, you know, we're, we have AVAs now, but there's still this mentality that, you know, anything goes in wine. So that creativity really lends itself to trying new types of grapes, different plantings, and even creating new grapes altogether. So that's where we're going to see them. So I don't know. I, I was trying to find a like comprehensive list of how many are out there, and I didn't find a good number. I would say hundreds, maybe thousands. I literally have no idea. I could not find a good number on this, um, probably because... Like I mentioned at the beginning, hybrids are technically like not just in the Vitis Lambrusca category. Uh, they're a Rapar, but either of them, they're also in the Vitis Vinifera category. So I couldn't really find any numbers that don't um, include all of them. So there's a lot, but I'm just going to go over a couple that you'll see fairly often. So we already touched on Frontenac. That one, as you heard at the beginning, is made in a lab, or sorry, was made in a lab and then naturally created itself a Gris and a Blanc version. This one's really common to see in Vermont. I see it a ton in Vermont. I've seen a couple in Canada too, and then uh, also Minnesota. You'll see it used a lot for pet nuts, especially with like the Noir version, which is interesting. Um, it's very acidic and it has really low tannin, so it lends itself to a potential sparkling because uh, super low tannin is, and super, and super low tannin acidity are not great complements to each other in a still wine. So that makes a lot of sense. Another one that you'll see on the white side is Saval Blanc. 
This is a white grape that's been very popular in Canada. Um, you also see it some in the Midwest. I think I've seen it. I mean, you'll see it all over, but those are the most popular places that I've seen it. It's really common to find in sparkling wines. And in some of the ones, we've actually brought in a couple grapes, uh, a couple wines from Canada that had this in it. And in those, I've commonly seen it paired, or not paired, sorry, blended with Riesling and Sauvignon Blanc. So in that category-ish, if you're trying to think about what it might taste like. Back to Reds, Marquette is another really popular one. It's considered to be the grandchild of Pinot Noir. So I think that's one area where people like to use it and talk about it because Pinot Noir is a really easy reference in wine for people. However, it is more hefty, I would say, than its grandparent in that regard. It's um, sometimes like a little meatier, like Pinot Noir, especially if you're thinking like Burgundian style, is normally light and like earthy. And this one is not quite like that. So places I see it a lot, Vermont and New York. Again, you'll see it all over, but Lagarge used to like to use it a lot. We love that producer in Vermont. Um, and I believe that Wild Ark has been using it quite a bit in New York as well. All right. And just one more, because I'm not going to bore you with this entire list, but I will link to our blog um, that has another link, actually. <laughs> Maybe I'll just put the regular link in to a place that has at least, I think, like 40. So you can get it even bigger understanding if you'd like. Um, so another white Vidal Blanc. This one's really popular for creating ice wine in Canada. I've also seen it a lot in making Piquette. So I've seen Old Westminster has been using it to make Blinded by the Light. I believe I've also seen Wild Ark use it, but don't quote me on that one. So it, it's like super thick skin, very hardy, resistant to cold, thus ice wine. Perfect for it. <laughs> All right. So that's just a couple. Uh, like I said, there are a lot, but I will not even try to tell you how many there are exactly because I can't get good data on that. So why? Why are people doing this? I think that we've already hit on the fact that if you live in a cold climate, you kind of have to. <laughs> that's that's really what's available to you if you're trying to bring winemaking to a place that has not traditionally had it because Vitis vinifera does not grow there. That is what these hybrids are for. So I think we'll start to see it in places like Sweden, who's starting to take some steps towards winemaking. That would be a very logical next step, though I can't say that I've actually seen it happen yet. Next time we go to Sweden, as you guys may or may not know, Misa is Swedish-inspired because Nick is Swedish. She was born there. His dad lives there. Um, they have a little summer stuga there. That's why our logo is a dollhouse. So next time we're there, I'm going to investigate a bit further with our friends that do produce wine there because I am curious if that's been on their mind and if they have uh, any restrictions around it. So post for another day. All right. So why other reasons why I think it's become popular? I think that especially in the natural wine community, it is a very logical choice for people to make because A, just generally the rise of natural and organic wine, because they're hardier, they need less they are very good choices to create natural wines and to be able to farm organically. Thus, they're going to sh show themselves more in the organic wine and natural wine categories because people are able to <laughs> actually create them naturally. And that is really lovely. So if you're able to do that and you think they taste good, why would you you know, struggle with Vitis vinifera when 
it may or may not work where you are. It might either taste bad or you might end up having to use additives when you don't want to. In that sort of same vein, in the natural wine community and just more the wine community at large, wine adjacent drinks are becoming more popular. So we're talking about Verjou cider generally, Venice cider, where you're mixing wine and cider, piquettes. There's tons. Well, those are the main ones I can think of, but that's a lot of, you know, their styles. They're not quite wine, kind of wine, whatever you want to call them. Um, and it's really common to see hybrid grapes be used in those, um, especially in the case for ciders. Like when I've seen Venice ciders created out of Vermont, like almost always they're blended with hybrid grapes. So it's like apples plus Saval Blanc, something like that. So that is, as those rise in popularity, I believe that we're going to see more hybrid grapes rising in prominence with them because you see them in piquettes, you see them in verjus, you see them in ciders, Venice ciders. And lastly, this one's a little bit of a stretch, but I don't think it's that much of a stretch. I think that the general interest in wine education at large, uh, especially in the last couple of years since COVID, has lent itself to more curious consumers. And when you have more curious consumers, they're not just going out and buying a case of whatever wine they used to, you know, like and not thinking about it. People were bored. (laughs) Like everyone... I don't know everyone, but almost everyone and their dog did some sort of like wine education or at least a wine happy hour during COVID. Very popular thing to do. So it really, I think, has sparked an interest with a much larger group of people um, to actually look into their wines, what's in their wines, what other styles are there, um, and about the grapes. So all of those things put together, I think, are why it makes sense that we're seeing hybrid grapes in the news way more. And I think that's great. We at Misa super support using hybrid grapes. We think they're very delicious. We're made naturally and we love seeing them in these wine adjacent drinks. That's honestly where we find them the most, but hopefully in the next couple of months, we'll bring in some more Canadian wines uh, and we will see more of those hybrid grapes in there that way. Uh, Otherwise, places you can see them. We already mentioned Lagargista. We don't carry her, but we love her. Old Westminster, you'll find it in some of their wines and definitely in their piquettes. Pinard de Fee, that's a Canadian one that we would love to get in. Revel Cider and EB Wines. Um, They're doing a mix of all of that. So those are all North American, (laughs) which makes sense. And yeah, I think that we're going to continue to see the rise of it and not just see it as like a cheap alternative of an easy way to make wine, but like some really beautiful wines that will eventually become like the classics, you know, like a classic of the whatever, the Northeast, like that is what the traditional Saval Blanc might taste like, etc. We're nowhere close to that right now, but I do believe that's where we will be someday. And that'll be very cool. So if and when you see them, try them. <laughs>